Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. Generally speaking, what, what I'm seeing in the marketplace today is just a lot of appetite and a lot of liquidity to get deals done, but also with the backdrop of knowing that, you know, assets are very expensive. Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors. Welcome to another episode of Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. Today, my guest is Jake Clopton, and Jake founded Clopton Capital back in 2010 and is an active commercial mortgage broker. And he's got an extensive background in commercial finance and interest rate markets. He serves as the company president and head mortgage broker and personally oversees each loan arrangement. Jake has personally negotiated hundreds of millions of dollars in real estate loans and advisory work. So Jake, excited to have you on the show today. Yeah, uh, likewise. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. Yeah, I, th- I think this is uh, this is good timing. I think um, you know, I, I feel, I guess, from my side of the fence that, that a lot of things have changed in lending um, over the past year or so, I think just as a function of, of prices and, and things and, and interest rate expectations. And I guess what I mean by that is I feel like people are taking different loans today than they were maybe a, a year or two or year or two ago. So excited to kind of dig into some of the changes and, and different things that are going on. But before we jump in there, uh, let's step back for a sec and, you know, let's, just give people a, a sense of who you are and kind of where you came from and how you got to where you are today. Uh, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Absolutely. Um, so, right. I started this company back in the 2009, 10 era, right. Um, before I started doing commercial real estate loans, <clears throat> I used to trade uh, like interbank hedging product futures, just a fancy way of saying, you know, LIBOR and Fed funds, stuff like that. Um, and then, right, 2009, everybody knows happened, financial crisis, and interest rates went to zero. Um, and you kind of need things to move around to make money trading. So, I was, you know, re- really looking for, um, you know, new opportunities. And, and at the time, right, I mean, there, it, it was a financial crisis and, you know, there was no lending and people were having a really difficult time um, getting anything done. So my idea was to create a business around helping people find capital. Um, here we go. Fast forward, right? Almost, four, I guess, 13 and a half years later. Um, 
you know, we, we are, are very focused on the commercial real estate space. Um, I'd say we do somewhere around, I don't know, 200 million bucks a year in financing of one way or another. And, you know, we do all asset types, multifamily, definitely. Um, and we'll do perm, bridge, construction. Um, and we actually get involved in uh, some joint venture equity arrangements as well. Um, so, you know, definitely in the markets, kind of up to our necks in uh, commercial capital. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's kind of our backstory. Yeah, that, that's awesome. You, uh, you found a new opportunity, built a company, and, and now here you are doing over $200 million, uh, a year in loan origination. So that, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And, and I didn't really, really have, like, candidly a background in, in real estate before I started, right? I mean, I love real estate. It's extremely interesting to me. Um, and, and the way we got started is, uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I just started cold calling lenders and banks mm -hmm. and creating a network. And, and, and honestly, the, the value that you bring to the table in this business as, you know, almost any business is, is really your network, right? And the relationships you can build. And, and that's how it all started, right? Just pick up the phone, you know, putting the network together and, and finding the people that at the time were actually lending. Yeah. I, I'm curious what, when you're making those cold calls and, and just even today as you make new relationships, I mean, Obviously, there's a lot of different mortgage brokers out there. I mean, what what are the lenders looking for when they say, "Okay, this is a guy that like, we're going to take seriously"? Um, yeah, I mean, at at the time, most people were actually getting out of the business, you know, to be honest. So it's a great time to actually start. Kind of, it, it was, you know, it's kind of like what I, I was telling some people, you know, when the pandemic happened. You know, all the restaurants are failing. I was like, you know, actually, it's probably the best time in history to start a restaurant if you can do it the right way, right? Um, your competition's like that. You know, I mean, it's just kind of like anything else, though. I mean, you've got to really, you've got to understand the terminology, know what you're doing, and just, you know, the number one rule is just not wasting anybody's time, right? I mean, because, you know, people in commercial lending, you know, they all kind of, you know, for the most part, work off of a commission base, you know, based on, like, how much volume they're doing and stuff like that. So, you know, obviously, time is money and, and precious, and, you know, that, that's really what it comes down to is being effective and efficient at building relationships and, and also keeping you know, respect to other people's time. Um, that, that's what really helped me to build the network. Gotcha, so were you just presenting them and saying, hey, you know, I've, got, I can, I've got a network of folks over here who, who, need, who need loans, I, I can bring them and I can, I can bring them over to you and is that really the value prop? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, <sighs> At the time, during the financial crisis, it was almost even simpler than that, right? I mean, if you found, you know, the lenders that were lending, you know, any of you were able to go out and just kind of, you know, say that you had that, people just came, you know, came to you, you know what I mean? I, yeah, I heard that, sure. that, but that was the idea, right, behind the whole thing, is that, you know, there was kind of that desperation in the market that people needed lending in some way. And it was a financial crisis, right? And, and, and that the scarcity was the scarcity of liquidity. You know, yeah. um, the, the, the last, right, the pandemic was totally different. It wasn't a financial crisis. Actually, there was lending the whole time. Um, you know, it was, it was that the other side of the equation, like, you know, there was so much uncertainty that people, you know, were being very conservative and there was things that were happening that have never happened before, right? Like, how do you underwrite, you know, some deal that was shut down because of, you know, lockdowns or, are you going to write a multifamily property where none of the tenants are paying because they don't have to, right? 
Um, so it was, it, it was just very, very different how this crisis went versus the last one. Gotcha. And even in the in the COVID during the pandemic, I mean, are you in your role, are you helping kind of bridge bridge that gap of, of helping the lenders kind of see like, hey, here's here's how we might look at these things or tell the story on the property and, and help get that loan through? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so the, the way that the way that we operate, right, is and maybe some firms don't operate this way, but the way that we do is a little bit more of a you know, I would say relationship-based approach, even with our capital sources, right? So when I, what, what my main goal is for the capital source side is to understand, you know, like realistically what they need to return to their own investor capital that they've raised, what, you know, and they're lending out to try to make money on, right? I mean, that, that's the whole game, right? So if you can really understand like, you know, their business strategy and how their capital is formed and what they need to return to their fund, then, you know, you can kind of tailor what you bring to them. And my goal during the pandemic, you know, and a lot of these, you know, properties that we're seeing that were challenged, right, was to present, you know, the, basically the advantages and the positive points of those properties to the lenders, knowing, you know, like areas where they would be able to deal with that, right? And, and a lot of times, like, it's, it's not so simple as just shooting an email with a loan request, right? I mean, it really takes some, you know, some face-to-face -face time and really talking the deal through a lot of times to get the deal through, especially when it's challenging, right? Because if you think about it at the end of the day, like to get denied, all somebody at the lender has to do is just say no, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that may happen whether or not it would have actually been a fit for them. So, I mean, yes, there, there's definitely an idea of kind of pushing it through and helping them see the light, you know, for the scenario, rather than just shotgunning it out and saying, hey, here's a deal and having a bunch of people say no and just accepting that. Gotcha. And so for, from when you started to now, I mean, how has the company evolved? Um, it, it's gone through, you know, probably a couple iterations. Um, you know, when it, when it first started, it was just me, right? So I was an independent broker and then, you know, started building a company around that, right? So you know, I, I the, you know, probably a couple of years in, I started probably more of a traditional type of brokerage structure where, you know, built out, you know, people underneath me and like a bunch of originators um, that were also reaching out to people and trying to find loans. And, and you know, they, they almost end up, you know, th those types of sales, like broker positions almost feel like little franchises of yourself. Do you know what I mean? Because they're also kind of running their own little business. Mm -hmm. um, I learned very quickly that I am not probably built for human resources. Uh, just not my thing, right? Uh, so, you know, in, in managing that many originators, I mean, I, I wanted to go a different direction than just a traditional model. Uh, so what I actually ended up doing was, you know, after about six years in, moving away from the sales originator guy role, right, where you have all these originators, who don't really know the lenders that well. They're just out there churning and burning, trying to find loans. I moved away from that to building out more of a back end that I think works much, much better and more efficiently, right? So I built out a whole back end staff, support staff, you know, really kind of around what I do and what, you know, a couple other people do. And what that allows us to do is do more business for each person 
but also allows, you know, allows me to see both sides of it, right? So instead of me having, instead of having these very specialized roles, what, what I can do is I can talk directly to the borrower, have that FaceTime there, really understand what they need. And at the same time, the exact same equation for the lender side, right? So it's, you know, it, it, it's me in the middle knowing, you know, intimately both sides of the equation. And that mm-hmm. works so much better to try to get these deals done versus just having an original, you know, the prior, you know, structure, which was you have a loan originator just out there trying to find deals. And then you have somebody that deals with the capital markets. I, I would say probably 95% of firms are like that. And I found what I, the way that we do it now is, is so much better for everybody. You know, it just, you don't shotgun deals out when a deal comes in. I pretty much know where it's going already. And if I get any pushback from a lender because of it, I'm like, no, this deal fits you because of yada, 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 right? And we'll get stuff done that otherwise wouldn't. So that's, yeah. that, that's, that's the biggest iteration and difference of, of kind of what's happened. So. I, I think that's interesting. I mean, you've, so instead of focusing on hiring a bunch of originators, you basically have just created leverage points for yourself through and some of the couple others to the back office staff. So you can spend right. more time doing what I would call kind of your highest and best use, right? Spending time with the lenders and also spending time with the, the folks that want the loans and being able to bridge that gap and really tell a good story there. So, so you're able to spend more time in your, uh, you know, kind of in that space you want to be in. So I think that that is unique. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and, and, and you know, the, the, the industry today, candidly, unfortunately, uh, maybe fortunate for us, but unfortunately, I think for the industry in general, is actually moving even more so in the direction of what I would say is the more inferior model that we moved away from, right? So if you, you know, so, some of these shops, you, you know, you, you, hear, you hear everything today, right? Oh my, we're technology, or we have AI, or this, that, and you know, like, you know, that we're moving towards more like a, an almost like a, like, like a guaranteed rate type of deal, right. For the commercial space, which I don't think works at all. I think it's a horrible idea. Um, And and realistically what that's doing is it's creating even more of a disconnect, right. Between the borrower and the lender side. I mean, you have even less of a relationship there. Right. And, and, And like, it can work well for the residential space, where, you know, lending is very boxy and, you know, I mean, a house is a house, right, to a degree, right, um, and you have government agency programs. There, there are government agency programs, especially for multifamily, as we all know, Fannie, Freddie, right, uh, I mean, they, they do have box to a degree, but what, what, what it's missing, even, in, even the, in the most structured and boxy type programs where that may happen, you can go in for exceptions, you can push the deal, you, you, you can present it the right way, right, right. so, you know, the, the the platforms that are trying to like create the even bigger disconnect are missing even more so out of that. And just really, it, it, it feels to me like the people that are doing that are just trying to lay off more and more work onto actually borrowers themselves who are actually getting the same deal and probably not even, you know, as good a deal otherwise. So. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I totally understand what you're saying in that. And, and this is from my own personal experience of working with different lenders. It, And I think something I undervalued when I first started going out to get loans was the importance of being able to tell that story about each individual deal, because different than on the residential side where, you know, a house is kind of a house, right? If you're talking about just uh, primary homes and things, each commercial property 
is very unique, has a different story, a different angle to the business plan. Um, and if you don't give that context, I, I think that can all be missed if, you, if you're just looking at the financials and just saying, okay, here's what the performer right. looks like. Um, and you can miss out on a lot of opportunities uh, because of that. I think both on both trying to get a loan that you need and, and also on the lender side. And I think if you can really tell that story, um, you know, just, you'll have much better success. So I totally understand what you're saying and needing to really have that context around the numbers with commercial deals. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's right. And, and I'll tell you, we, I, I've, I've seen that, that kind of, you know, platform technology, again, I'll say platform, you know, really being pushed recently and the disconnect getting bigger and we're, I, I'm, we're kind of just, you know, not reacting to that, but just pushing more, even more so into the other direction, into the model that, you know, where it's like, we bring the borrower and lender relationship side as close as possible. And it, it just works so much better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that that's really interesting. It's definitely a unique model. Mm -hmm. So switching gears a, a little bit, I, I want to get some, just get your thoughts on, on a few things, being so close in the industry. Uh, one is just like, how, how have you seen lending change over? And, and I mean, I mean, we talk, I, I guess I mean more from like a loan structure terms standpoint, because uh, we just talked about kind of how the industry is, is moving, but how, how have you seen that change over, over the last couple of years? And like, what do you, and then what are you seeing now is kind of more the norm from where people are getting loans and, and what type of terms or type of loans they're going for? Yeah. I mean, so you know, specifically keeping a multifamily, you know, I mean, it, it, it does, lending never stopped, right, during the pandemic, right, so let, let's talk about like 2019, mm -hmm. 2019, you know, there, I, I would say, you know, the overarching theme there was lots of competition to try to get loans, right, especially in multifamily, you had lots of lenders out there chasing loans, leverages were getting pushed very, very high, you know, uh, spread, credit spreads, right? So the credit spread is seen as basically the risk premium on the deal. So that like that spread, whatever is 150, 200 base points over the index, right? Um, those were getting squeezed even further, right? And, and then going into right before the pandemic, it, it was extremely competitive, right? Mm -hmm. And lenders were competing against each other. Then the pandemic hit, right? And so, and this, this will kind of play into the theme, you know, the pandemic was basically a risk off type of, you know, environment. So let, you know, and when, whenever you have uncertainty in the marketplace, that's going to happen, right? And two things are going to happen. Lenders are going to get more conservative and credit spreads are going to widen out, right? So when, when the pandemic hit, leverage came in, right? And lenders got more conservative and credit spreads at risk premium came back up. So I think a lot of, you know, a lot of the lending that people were doing during 2020, you know, let's say at the bottom was lower leverage, credit spreads were a little bit wider, stuff like that. Now, we basically have rewound back time back to, you know, kind of the ramp up for the financial crisis that, but it's, it's much faster, right? So, you know, if you kind of look at, you know, the money supply that we, that the Fed created, we created, I think the same amount of capital that like M2 capital that's out there in about two months that we did in about five years after mm -hmm. 2008, right? Yep. So just the amount of liquidity that's in the system that is going to get lent out and, you know, and, and looking for a home is significantly higher. So that, that ramp up from, you know, the risk off, you know, environment to the risk loving environment is, is 
you know, almost completely back. So what I've seen back in the marketplace is, you know, more private lenders and CLO type, you know, lenders, you know, coming back in the marketplace, leverages are getting very, you know, get, getting way back up there again. Um, and then the, you know, credit spreads have come in a bit, or excuse me, a, a lot since 2020. Um, now we're, we're talking about the Ukraine wars going on, right? So mm -hmm. that's another risk off type of environment, right? So credit spreads did widen out a bit, but, but candidly, I, I don't, I, I just don't see that, you know, affecting, you know, any sort of LTVs that anybody's going to do, you know, here whatsoever. Um, they did widen out CMBS credit spreads a little bit. So we have seen a little bit of that. Um, but, but generally speaking, what, what I'm seeing in the marketplace today is just a lot of appetite and a lot of liquidity to get deals done, but also with the backdrop of knowing that, you know, assets are very expensive and yeah. multifamily is expensive, right? And, and you know, and so we, we do a lot of work in the JV equity space. And some of these JV equity guys can kind of be like, you know, the first canary, right, to, to kind of tip off like where the rest of the industry ends up going um, because they're in the equity space, right? And it's, you know, a, the, the first risk, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what we've seen in, you know, the joint venture partner space is, especially like, let's talk about like value add multifamily deals. Sure. I've seen a lot of pushback from JV guys about the low ingoing cap rates, regardless of where it's going. Right. And say, well, I'm going to pop rents to this after we, you know, do this capex and renovate this many units. And like, yeah, but it's a three cap going in. Right. Right. So, the, you know, I've seen a lot of pushback from that. And then a lot of the, the JV money go actually more towards new construction versus existing value add stuff because you're actually getting better premiums there. Um, you, you know, so again, lots of liquidity. Leverages are definitely creeping up. But I, I would say the, 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 the idea of assets being very expensive is definitely out there. And then debt services in, in areas, you know, where, you know, they, they weren't so constrained before or starting, starting to get more constrained. And so in the West Coast, right, in California, you would see these extremely low cap rates and you would get, you know, constrained around 65% LTV because you're buying things at a three cap. Yep. I'm now seeing that in other areas. Right. So you have the East Coast and then like some like Midwest art as well. So, you know, that, that's definitely going, you, you know, definitely going on and people being aware of it. Um, as far as like what lenders are out there um, and, and being aggressive, it's kind of across the board when it comes to multifamily. Right. There's there's your typical the agencies use your tax dollars hard at work. Right. Fannie, Freddie. Those are always going to be extremely competitive and liquid in the small balance space, but they do have disadvantages come along with them. Um, you know, the, the private space, especially when it comes to bridge lending, value add, even construction today, I'm doing several multifamily deals that are construction that are getting done with private lenders mm -hmm. because they're willing to go up to 80 to 85% LTC. No bank is going to touch that, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm seeing a lot more, you know, deals getting done in the private space, especially in construction because construction costs have gone up so high, right? Um, and then, you know, the, the, the banks are certainly still here, but they, they do have difficulty competing with those two sources, you know, construction on leverage and then agencies on long-term fixed rates. So. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, that overview. And that's, uh, it's similar to, to what I've seen and, and what I talk, when I talk to other operators, kind of the, the trend toward more private lending, more, more bridge loans, like folks that were doing Fannie or Freddie, you know, long-term, like the standard 10 year fix, three year interest only type thing, or, yeah. I mean, you know, are, have, have moved more to like 
two to three year bridge loans, right? With the plan to refinance. And uh, I think needing the extra leverage on the front end to remain competitive uh, just because of where pricing is and, and because of all the capital you talked about, uh, all the people chasing deals. I mean, there, there's a couple of deals I was recently involved in uh, bidding after, I mean, where we had, we had 30, more than 30 uh, offers, you know, yeah. coming, coming through the first round. And so I think, I think, I think debt being the largest part of the capital stack is like your best way to differentiate. If you can bring down your, your cost of capital or increase your leverage. I mean, you can, you can stand out, you can, you can pay the higher price, right. You get the returns that you need. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, in when it comes to the long-term fixed rates, I, I, it's difficult in today's environment to go into a deal, especially in an agency deal that's going to have very restrictive prepayment penalties mm-hmm. and say, I 100% know what I'm going to be doing five years from now. I don't need right. to pay it off. Right. right. Because you, you have so much uncertainty out there. And, and also, you have a lot of inflation that's out there that people that people haven't dealt with before, right? And I mean, let's just say you get into a deal today, you have it locked up on a 10-year fixed rate and inflation's 10% a year. Okay, over five years, that's a lot of equity potentially that is accessible in that property, right. but you're locked in. So you're, you're not wrong. I am seeing people, you know, maybe, you know, not take the long, low, you know, interest rate, long-term fixed rates because it gets locked into it and then go with something that's a little bit shorter term, you know, three years out and then reevaluate or recap or maybe even sell then because, you know, I mean, things are moving so quickly today. So I think, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think, you know, the what's driving people in these areas is, you know, take on a lot of leverage because there's a lot of inflation, right? And the debt that I take on today is going to be worth what was inflation today? 7.8% I saw. 7.8% less yeah. to that lender <laughs> next year, right? Um, and then kind of stick to shorter term strategies because there's so much uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely what I'm seeing too, like just from an operation side. And, you know, how do you, um, just being so close to the markets, I mean, what what are you seeing as you look at, I mean, whether it's looking at futures or looking at what, you know, news that's coming out. I mean, I mean, what are kind of your thoughts on, on where we go over the, over the next couple of years? Interest um, rate wise, I guess. Oh man. So, all right. I used to trade interest rates for a living. Okay. Yeah. I feel like you're the guy um, to talk to. There is, who knows, man. I, I mean, I can make, you can I'm looking make, for your crystal ball. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the thing. And I, this is what I try to tell people too. They're like, should I lock my rate today? I'm, I mean, they're pretty good rates if you want to lock them in, right? Um, but the, the thing about interest rates is there's so much that goes into them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about GDP reads, so, you know, money supply, geopolitical stuff. I mean, now we have a war. Okay. Uh, if, if Putin just like threw his hands up and said, we're done, rates would go up. Uh, if if they, it escalates even further, rates will go down. Okay, I mean, if somebody can tell me what he's going to do, then I can tell you what rates are going to. You know what I mean? Right. Right. There's, there, there's just so much uncertainty out there right now. I mean, I think generally, if you look at you know our country and the economics of what's going on here, right, and the inflation we have, if you look and, and get rid of everything else, yeah, rates should rise, right? And the Fed has said that rates are going to rise. Um, but I, I don't know the things you just, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Right? right. I mean, oil might go to 200 bucks a barrel tomorrow and that's going to be a huge, you know, headwind on our company. And, and, and 
you know, then, then I don't think rates rise because I think that, you know, that takes out kind of the steam that the Fed wanted to take up. Sure. Um, so there, there's a lot of stuff is going into here. And, and what, what I tell people today is you, you, you got you to gotta go into this thing, you know, seeing where rates are today, being comfortable with that and protecting your downside, right? I mean, if you're going on a bridge loan, buy a cap. If you're, you know, if you're figuring yeah. out how long to lock in an interest rate, though, don't worry about where interest rates are going to be in five years. Worry about your strategy, right? Yeah. Am I getting out of this thing in five years? Okay, give me the lowest rate today that protects me for that period of time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and, and, and go ahead. Oh, oh, I was just going to say, and and what I often think heavily about is is what's the prepayment structure, right? And, and how do yeah. I how do I limit the? Uh, I'd rather pay up on rate to limit my prepayment on the back end to have that flexibility because. Like you said, you just don't know, and and you want to be able to, you know, to be opportunistic around market timing. If yep. you're a seller, you know, I mean, that has so much to do with it. So, um, you know, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I appreciate your your perspective on that. That there's there's so many, I mean, I, I recognize there's so many moving pieces, but the idea, I mean, inflation, I think, is one of the main drivers. But but there are things. I think a lot of people are just certain at least that I've talked to recently, just certain rates are going up, going up, going up. I think what you're saying is that there's a lot of other factors. You got to look at things that could take, like you said, the steam, the steam out of the economy, you know, that, that where we wouldn't need to, to raise those rates. Right. And, yes. and so I think it's just, I mean, there's so many factors to look at, but it's not necessarily uh, set in stone, I guess. I mean, I think this is my, my humble opinion. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people are focused on the wrong equation of the interest rate idea, right? Because, you know, and, and it, I, I have a lot of discussions around, about this and people are saying, well, where are rates going? Where are rates going? How to figure it out? We're, we're not interest rate trade. We're real estate investors, right? Mm-hmm. And, and candidly, it doesn't matter where interest rates are going. What, what really matters for our decisions is cost capital today and what I can do with it. And the real idea to look at here is what's your real cost of capital, right? Right. And when you think about if I do a loan at 3%, but inflation is 8%, what am I really paying for money? Negative 5%. Yeah. And that's the way to look at the real estate equation, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, in the, and I think you transact as long as it makes sense. And, and that's why I was telling people, you know, like, I, and, and, and people, people, I don't think this has hit a lot of people yet because, you know, look, I'm 38. I haven't lived in an inflationary environment before. And I don't think most people that are, you know, 38, ha- I certainly know they haven't, but most people right. in real estate really haven't, right? Right. And, and it just hasn't hit you because you've heard your whole life. Don't take on debt. Don't take on debt. Less debt is, less debt is good. Yeah. Well, I don't know. If I'm getting paid to take debt today, sounds pretty good to me. You know what I mean? And, and it's what I've been telling people, like, I'm not telling, you know, people take, you know, go get credit card debt, but like where it makes sense. And, you know, and, and if you can make it work, I would say take on as much debt for these projects as you can, because what's going to happen is your, even if nothing changes in your deal and inflation continues at 8% next year, your, that property is worth 8% more, but the debt to the lender is worth 8% less. So save your equity, take on more debt, maybe keep it a shorter term strategy and then reevaluate later on because there, you know, you can only 
pay attention to what you can control, right? Right. And nobody has a crystal ball about where rates are going. So you just focus on your cost capital today and where it makes sense. And, and that's how I try to explain to people like, should I transact today with rates? Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because I think, you know, you're going to have, you know, you have that hindsight looking back five years from now and say, yeah, man, that property looked expensive, but I should have bought it. Right. And I think, I think that's what a lot of people are trying to, to reconcile right now with, with prices continuing to go up and in many markets reaching historic levels. But at the same time, so are the drivers of, of value, right? Inflation, rent growth. I mean, even wage growth, I mean, are, are increasing at levels that, that we haven't seen in, in a really long time. And right. so th- those things that are going to drive the value on your property are increasing maybe more than the value of the property. I mean, it's tough to say. And then you start to look at things like replacement cost and cost of construction, and that also is through the roof. So you can't, you can't build that thing today what you could have built it f- even a year ago for. Oh, and no so, it, you know, yeah. and so you start, you start thinking about um, all these different variables and trying to put them all together. I mean, in, you know, debt, I, I think, like you said, thinking about your total cost of capital, really important. I like the perspective you gave on how to approach that and not just focus on what that, that absolute like rate number is. And, and also I wanted to highlight something you said earlier about, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about with you, which you highlighted a little bit on is just, you know, how do you, how do you take some risk off the table, especially if you're looking at the variable rates and maybe shorter, shorter terms, things like that. And I think one thing you said was, was buy a cap. And so, and so maybe doesn't, maybe everybody doesn't know what that means. So I, I like, what is that? And how do you go about if you're going to buy an interest rate cap? Right. So in most bridge loans, right, especially CLO bridge loans, they'll actually require you to buy a cap. Um, so a, a cap is, you know, if you're doing a deal like this and you're floating over, I guess it's going to be silver now, right? Not like more. Um, yeah. You know, you're going to go to a third party, like interest rate hedging type of firm, and you're going to pay them a nominal fee, right? Of, I, I don't know, what it was based on, you know, the interest rate that you pick is the cap and then the principal of the, the loan, right? Yeah. Um, and what that'll do is that will cap the potential rise and increase of your index rate, right? So let's say you get into this deal and you're like, all right, well, you know, I, we need to buy a, a sofa cap and I'm, I want my sofa cap to be 3%. That doesn't mean that your rate is capped at 3%, right? So if, you, if you've got that, you know, let's say three, well, let's say 400 spread over sofa, your mm-hmm. cap is if sulfur goes to four at uh, 300, right? If you, if, right, if, if it goes 3%, right. you brought right. that 3% cap, right? So potentially your rate could go to 7%, but then after that, the cap would kick in. That would be the most you would pay, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a good way, you know, to kind of hedge like a worst case scenario, or, or if you wanted to pay up even more, you could get that cap all the way down. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, what, so, what's the right way? Sorry, I mean, uh, to cut you no, off. No, 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 what's yeah. the right way to evaluate Cause yeah, I mean, should we, should we cap it at, you know, 400, should we cap it so far, you know, at, at 200, at, at 300 basis points at 400, you know, what, what's the right way to evaluate that when you're looking at a deal, like where, where should we? Yeah, no, it, it, I'll tell you that it's a good question. And the, the, the answer is it depends on who the borrowers are and the strategy of the deal. Right. Cause it's kind of like saying, sure. Hey, what's a good sure. investment? Well, I don't sure. know. It's different for everybody else, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the way that these caps will work is, you know, the market is expecting certain rises in interest rates, right? 
And based on those, the closer you get to those, right, the more expensive the cast will, will be, right? Yeah. So it's really, it's like a, it's a probability equation at a certain level, right? In, yeah. in, you get further down, the probability of the Fed hiking, the Fed funds rate and so coming up, you know, because um, SOFA's short-term rate, right? Yeah. I mean, they will become more expensive. So there's just, there's going to be a cost benefit equation you're going to have to do. And I would say, sure. you know, like just get, get, a, get a menu of options from whoever the provider is and then kind of make that judgment call. But also, again, it depends on, you know, who you are, right? Because right. everybody's it, risk tolerance is different. Right. And then, and then how long you're going to be in this thing, right? I mean, if you're going, you're like, I need this bridge loan for 12 months and eh, not really wor- that worried about a cap, right? But if this is a three-year strategy and, you know, you, you don't have much liquidity outside of this thing and, you know, I don't know, I'd think about a cap. The other way, the best way to mitigate this, candidly, is by really making sure that you're buying the right deals. Because that's really what it comes sure. to, right? Sure. Because yes, rates will go up, but, it, but if, 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 you're, if you did the right homework and you know the local economics of where this property is you got the right demographics going for you the economy where it's located is doing well you know even if rates rise you're, you're going to do well but if you're buying a deal that's eh, kind of on the brink and a lot of the underwriting was probably pushed and it was like kind of pure pioneering some of your underwriting is based on rents that aren't available in the market today mm-hmm. you know that that that's going to be the bigger way to take on risk, right? Than just worry yeah. about the interest rate cap. So, I mean, that number one, it, it's the deal and making and double checking the homework and that your assumptions are already in that marketplace. I think yeah. that's the best way to mitigate all this risk, uh, interest rate stuff. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, I think that's a good perspective and, and important for people to hear. I, I mean, it really is. Yeah. First start with just buy a good deal, right? And then <laughs> you know, the debt and everything will, will fall into place. I mean, we're right. still in an environment where debt is historically quite low. And I mean, so- there's, it, it kind of goes back to what I said before, like lending is competitive. And just because a lender is willing to lend against your deal at very high leverage, doesn't necessarily mean it is the same risk profile as another, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I wouldn't, and I think some people do this too. Like they, they kind of like, uh, oh, well, this lender is going to do it and they back checked it. So it must be a great investment. Not necessarily. Well, no, I mean, they're not necessarily right. So. No, I mean, uh, c- case in point is like you think about back in, in 2006, 2007, and, you know, they're, I mean, more on, on the residential side, maybe, but they're, you know, you're giving loans 100%, 100% leverage, interest only type, type things. Like just because the lender is going to do it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Right. Right. Yeah. I remember uh, a, a friend of mine, Got approved for a mortgage back then. I think he was, I think he made like four thousand bucks a month, and his mortgage payment was going to be three thousand dollars a month. And he's like, How am I approved for that? <laughs> like, and I remember telling the banker, I was like, I don't know, but you are. So yeah, <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, but but uh, uh, the the word of caution doesn't doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. I think that right. that's a good message. So um one other thing I, I wanted to hit on uh as as we're talking about things, just for, from your experience. For folks that want to, you know, for folks that are out there, maybe, maybe they're, they're newer, they're getting started, but, you know, they're, they're getting out there and they want to get loans. I mean, how can folks show up in a way that that's going to make them be taken seriously? I mean, what should they have ready to deliver? You know, uh, how, how should they approach, you know, maybe the brokers or different lenders? I mean, I mean what are some tips you can give to people? Um, 
specifically to people that are going into markets they don't know, or maybe first time they're buying a multifamily property or, or something like that. I always tell people the first place you should go is call around to local property manager companies. They know the markets. They know these properties well. They know the corner that these buildings are on. You know what I mean? They might even manage them, right? They know all the local players. They know the insurance companies that do the stuff. They know all the guys that are going to do the work on these buildings if you need it, you know? And, and, and candidly, and I, I say this a lot to people, I'm like, if you're coming from managing five homes as re rental properties, you cannot manage a multi a, an apartment building. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, like you need experience doing that. Get them for your property management company at first. And then, you know, like, and, and maybe, you know, contact property management company, maybe even use one, right? Um, and, you know, and, and get some intel. And, and another great reason to contact property management companies is a lot of times they, and you've, you've identified the right market, a lot of times they have buildings for the people they're managing that, you know, they would, they may sell, right? So it can be a good way to find off-market property. There's just so many resources you get, you know, because they're kind of a consolidator of all the players in the local market, you know, sure. for these types of properties. And, and, and I just, I feel like a lot of people purposely avoid them because like, oh, well, I don't want to pay them 8%. I'm like, well, but you, you know, just at least like interview them, talk to them, get to know mm -hmm. the local markets and because you don't know what you don't know. And you know what I mean? Like you might be looking at some property and they're like, oh yeah, well, you know, X, Y, Z happened. And that's, that's a corner that there's a drug dealer on every day. And yet, you know what I mean? But you didn't see that when you drove by it. So you can get right. a lot of local intel going that route first. And, and that's, I, I don't hear a lot of people say that, but that's what I always say. Just talk to local property management companies. You're going to get so much value out of just even getting to know them. Yeah. Use that to educate yourself and use that education. Then when, when you're, when you're talking with your lenders and when exactly. you're putting, when you're putting the plan together, because you're going to come off so much better. Right. I think that you're going to be so much more versed in that local market and in that property. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Jake, that's good advice. So before we let you go, I want to take you through our keys to success round. I got four questions I want to ask you. First one is, if you were going to invest your money with somebody else and you can only ask them one question before you, you sent that check over, what is the one question you'd want to ask them? How much money do they have in it? Yeah, that's a good one. You got to have skin <laughs> that, in the game, right? That, that would be my number one question. If it's zero, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it makes yeah. sense. It's one of those things. It's like, man, I really... I, I think you should invest in this deal. Like I'm not going to, but I really think you should. Yeah, well, that never right. made I mean, sense to me. So, so right. So, you know, some, I, I've seen deals where it kind of just looked like somebody was creating a job for themselves. Right. And, 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 and that alignment of interest. Right. And even so like the JV stuff that we do and everything, I mean, that that's, it's a huge point that I've, I've just learned over the years that yeah. the deals where there's alignment of interest work out 99% more than the deals that maybe don't though. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, it makes a ton of sense. What are you most proud of in your career? Um, I, I, I would say seeing this company through the difficult times in the beginning to actually get over that hump. Um, so here's a good way to explain it. I, I feel like in, in every venture that you do, right, there's a learning curve and there's a certain mm -hmm. point where you are screwing up so bad and so often that you just learn not to do that in every <laughs> single way to, to not do that. And then you just start making the right decisions. 
Right. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, you just um, make every mistake and then all of a sudden you're out of mistakes. <laughs> there's so many mistakes, only so many mistakes you can make at a certain <laughs> degree, right? Um, but that that it, but I mean that you're that's gonna be everything, right? I mean, I don't sit down, you know, at the piano and you know, not make me say, yeah, I'm gonna screw up nonstop. And then yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. But the I feel like the, you know, and this is probably right in every business, you know, the business of workout, and there are entrepreneurs that are around for 15 years, right? Like we've been. Uh, you know, you, you, you push through that, right? You, you can't give up just because that just when you feel like it's the worst point is where you're going to be screwing up the most and it not working the most, but usually that's right before it actually starts working. Right. Yeah. And I've, I've heard a lot of others uh, say that. And, and I think there's a lot of truth there. So yeah. Awesome advice. What is a book that everybody should read? Um, I'm going to be publishing ebook in like a couple of weeks. So that one, when it comes out, <laughs> is it, is it a, a to be determined name yet? You got a name for it. Uh, I'm still doing a little research, but I think we're just going to put it on our, uh, our website. It's basically like, you know, it, what, what I realized doesn't really, isn't really, really readily available out there is just kind of like a very good general, almost like guide through capital markets, raising equity, joint venture equity, kind of explaining things really well. Mm-hmm. And then like, and, and then also included in that is like ways to find deals um, as well. And this is all just kind of stuff that I've seen other people do throughout the years, right? And then also, you know, the stuff that I see in the capital markets and kind of explaining the different players. And then also kind of like forward trends that we see happening over the next five years. Sure. Um, so Very good. Well, you know, it'll be a few weeks before this episode's out. So when that comes oh, out, send it over to me and, and we'll link it up for everybody. So the magic of technology, it's down in your show notes below, go, go and click it and you guys can get that ebook. Cool. And uh, last but not least, what is your number one key to success? Um, you know, kind of going back to, I guess the second question, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to fail and make mistakes. And, and, and that, that ties into so many things, right? I mean, so many people are like, like the way I started this business, right? I started making calls. I started making cold, you know, cold calling people nonstop. And if I, if I was worried about, you know, failing or saying the wrong thing or screwing up, you know, it just, it would have paralyzed the whole thing, right? So just realistically, like, know what you want to do, put effort into it and don't be worried you know, if you screw up, right? I mean, if you go into the gym, you don't start throwing around hundred pound dumbbells day one, right? You got to work up to it, you know? So, I mean, it, you know, don't be afraid to fail and, and just put the effort into what you're doing. And eventually you'll have made enough, enough mistakes to the point where it'll start working. So. I, I think that that's great advice. And uh, with that, so Jake, if, if people do want to get a hold of you uh, and they want to learn more about what you guys are doing at Clopton Capital, how can they reach you? Uh, you can hit me up on LinkedIn, very easy to find, or website, clappingcapital.com. Call me directly. We're always around. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. Appreciate it. Likewise. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit kentritter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time. This is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.